This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah. And this is The Beirut Banyan. I know I'm in good company when I can reach out to someone at roughly 1.30, 2 in the afternoon and have an episode within a few hours. And it means a lot to me that I can simply just request your mind for a few minutes. And it occurred to me that uh, I was thinking about the 10-point plan that we discussed back in February. And then it sort of struck me. It's like, yeah, you wrote a piece talking about that perspective today, looking back and seeing exactly what went wrong. And I remember our early conversation was was fairly optimistic about the outlook, political and economic. It was measured, but we still had some hope back in February. And I think it's also, it's important to note February, 2020 feels like ancient history compared to November, 2020. <laughs> And everything that could go wrong went wrong. A lot of it is not necessarily, uh, a lot of it is just the worst tragedy one could imagine. The, the blasts in August and then COVID shutting the world down. But then I thought, you know what? Let me speak to somebody who gave me some hope back in February <laughs> and you're the man. So with that, Amir, it means a lot to uh, to reflect. And also maybe we can start with just your maybe your just on your broad personal take on the paralysis that we've been experiencing not since february not since october not for the last few years but really really since hadidi became the designated prime minister and then there's been deadlock deadlock in in maybe ways that are new we have geopolitical concerns shabran basil sanctioned but we also have the gridlock and the deadlock that we're familiar with, that it always takes time for a Lebanese government to form. And this type of deadlock couldn't come at a worse time. So just we can start from there. Do you think that we're in a stage of paralysis for the time being and that things are going to be like this for quite some time? Or is there any optimism? Before we jump into the piece and before we jump into your recent article, just uh, your own emotional maybe perspective on where things are. No, I mean, it's less emotional and more factual, right? I mean, we do seem to be completely stuck in a, in a very disturbing and um, potentially fatal quagmire where nothing is moving and the cost of not moving is cars and the cars will be with us um, for, for, for a very long period of time, um, potentially fatal, potentially troubling in a very serious way. And there's a perfect storm, right, for why this, this, this paralysis is occurring, multiple reasons. 
all of which unfortunately seem irreversible for now. Eventually, hopefully things could change. But for now, you have a political system that is completely stuck and unable to come to a collective um, um, uh, decision-making. Like, uh, literally, so it's a very atomized political system that just cannot come to an agreement. The interests of the many dominates the interests of the one, the nation. Yes. Um, you have an element of, of, of to be polite, uh, incompetence, right? Not recognizing how serious the situation is. And as a result, unwillingness to, since you don't understand how bad it is, you don't want to do anything about it. Yeah. There's also an insidious angle to it, which is, you know what? And we'll talk about this later on if you want. The paralysis is not necessarily counter to the interests of the decision-making. It probably yes. arguably helps them right? Because it just pushes the burden elsewhere. Yeah. And on top of it, you have this incredible international geostrategic paralysis that has been created by the very unfortunate timing of the US elections that have stopped us waiting for Godot, waiting for the ship. So you have this perfect storm of, 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 of collective failure, incompetence, uh, 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 insidious incentive structure, and an international uh, uh, in uh, uh, sort of confusion that is leading to to this complete stop stop of of of, of decision making and and countries paying the price. You know, I like that the article is titled "The Tragedy of Doing Nothing," and that really is what happened. That nothing was done, and I, I appreciate the article because it's sort of a it's a point by point explanation of the steps that were not taken, and the I like that you use the word stealth. In, in terms of the changes that we saw were not changes that were done in the right way. They were done in almost almost the most incorrect manner. And you, you break it down bit by bit. But let's, let's talk about first that the, there's a predictability factor in the article, and I wanted to explore. It's almost like a, it's a foreseen tragedy. It's a foreseen collapse that we saw this happening back in February or even the last few months, that this was an inevitable uh, situation. And then you mentioned earlier, the political class may be writing out this tragedy for the reasons you alluded to, that it may serve their long-term interests. And let's, let's touch on that a bit. And I know this is less economics. This may be more politics and the politics as usual in Lebanon. But is that sort of a, do you think it's a thought out sort of approach that, this is too toxic even for them to touch right now, and that maybe they they may resurface under more under better circumstances, and they may be waiting for money, and they may actually get it at the end without proper reform. Or, or, or am I overthinking it here that this is uh, that they're so incompetent that this is sort of an accidental approach on their side? I mean, I listen. I, I don't think I'm I'm, I'm a, one of these people who don't believe in conspiracies and, and mm. back home, um, uh, back room uh, uh, conspiracies. But the reality is, delay um, uh, it could be a gambit. Right? It could be something that the political class uh, has implicitly or explicitly, arguably implicitly, without much thought, decided that you know what? If we wait, um, um, two things could happen. Right? The first of which is the fear of the failed state could trigger some international desperate attempt at saving the country. Right. Right? The, Macron, the Macron initiative is some element of that. Yeah. The fear of a collapse of the Mediterranean 
is something that created this this initiative that that came with potentially money behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then maybe maybe there is a gamble of you know what if we wait long enough somebody would come and bail us out. And 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 historically in Lebanon that has often been a gamble that has worked. That <laughs> you often wait for enough time and somebody comes and bails you out. The second one is much more insidious, and I hate to bring it up, but you know what this delay. Um, uh, pushes the burden elsewhere. It pushes the burden onto the people who, the silent majority. And so we'll go through the detail if you're interested, but right, inflation is something that um, makes the losses move from the banking sector to the depositors. Right? Suddenly the depositors are the ones who are losing the value of their wealth. So suddenly that big loss that needs to be taken as a result of the debt is now no longer taken by the banking sector, by the, by the, large, by the large owners of capital in the country, and is being pushed into the middle class and the lower middle class. Mm. Um, uh, the debt itself is suddenly the country is delevering, right? Why? Through bankruptcies. The balance sheet is cleaning up by itself in an incredibly dangerous way. But suddenly right now, assets are becoming cleaner because the debt side of the borrowers right. is being dealt with. So the borrowers are now benefiting because they don't have to pay back their debt, right? So suddenly, but, but who's losing? Right? The ones who are losing are the wage earners, the ones who are employed by those assets. Um, uh, the guys who bought the debt, the lenders are losing, right? So there is this insidious dynamic where if you don't do anything, the problem does get solved by stealth, but it gets pushed onto the people who are the silent majority, cannot fight back. And you, right, right. as either the political class, the whoever, right, suddenly are cleaned by yourself, and then you can swoop in, and suddenly those assets are much cheaper, the system is much cleaner, yeah. and that's a very dangerous way. This is a hard landing. This is an internal... You're dealing with a problem, but in the worst possible way. You know, I like in, in the article, and you use the word also, in addition to stealth, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, you, you mentioned nonchalance. It's almost like a hands-off uh, policy, and, and you break it down. I'm going to quote you to you here. There are three possible explanations for this nonchalance. First, utter incompetence. Second, an intractable political environment that makes collective decision-making extremely difficult, especially given the size of the losses that need apportioning. And third, an active decision by the political class to do nothing, since implosion pushes losses onto the population, thereby safeguarding the, polit- the politicians' vested interests, which we just spoke about. But I, the, the other two, this utter incompetence, and I, I've heard this used all the time, and yet seems like there's enough knowledge at this moment there's enough there's enough knowledge from from advisors there's enough knowledge from think tanks from endless policy papers on how to restructure and and figure this out so incompetence means that there's almost a it's a deliberate sort of turning away from the solution and that gets into the other issue which is that how big the losses are and i like that you mentioned that is that the big problem here? That it's just such a massive, massive loss that they cannot handle it, that they're unable I mean, to. I think it's both. Mm. I think it's both. I think uh, 
despite all the expertise that has been built up over the past year, I still don't think there's a complete appreciation of what it needs to be done. I see. Right. Uh, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. People have learned by 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 force. Um, uh, they've all become macroeconomists, and everybody's <laughs> an expert right now on the IMF. But uh, but the deep down, I just don't think people appreciate the kind of mechanistic effort that is needed. Um, uh, uh, just parenthetically here, this this narrative in the country that hey, IMF, let's go to the IMF, let's get the IMF, as if the IMF is ready sitting there with a check, and all you have to do is go and grab that check. No, there's a lot that needs to be done in order to get that check. And I'm not convinced people recognize the complexity mm -hmm. of that. And then on top of that, you bring up the second point, which is, yes, um, the size of what needs to be done is proportional to the size of the problem. And the size of the problem is so large that even right. if you recognize what needs to be done, which I'm arguing you don't, they don't, right. it, 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 you can be scared of the magnitude of what needs to be done. I like that point. Apportioning actually. that yes. loss, apportioning that loss, right, is an enormous challenge today. You know, and the article you continue, you say, regardless of what the correct explanation is of that of that nonchalance, policy neglect is paradoxically threatening seismic political shifts that will potentially impact the political class itself. And then you go on, the current attempt by politicians to urgently form a cabinet may well reflect a realization that an economic collapse would undermine their own political survival. I know that this article was, was written just about a month ago, October 21st, and some things have happened since. And that includes the, uh, the sanctioning of Gibran Bessir. And I know that probably contributes to the inability to form a government. But do you still sense that that urgency is there and that their own survivability really is on the line? Because the reason I asked this fairly broad question is I had conversations with uh, IMF negotiators on the Lebanese side, Henri Shaul. I spoke to Alain Bifani about his resignation. I actually had them both on an episode together. And this is months ago. And they still felt like there was that urgency, but nothing was being done. And here we are months later desperation and it doesn't seem like there's a government right now on the horizon that there's no incoming government and i i mean this is maybe more speculation than anything but is everyone just sort of betting on what you said earlier that at some point macron the imf some money will come that they don't really have to do much or are they seeing the urgency that you alluded to which is they are on a sinking ship and they're, for better or worse, they're going to have to do something. It may not be the the it may not be the group of individuals that protesters want to do the restructuring, but they they have to do something at some point. I mean, listen, I, 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 there's an element of what I think, and and there's an element of what they're thinking. <laughs> um, I actually am completely convinced that the seismic political shocks that are being created by the economic collapse that has happened or will likely happen even further from here will have implications that are massively negative for the political class itself. The political class itself will lose yeah. from, from the, 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 the economic collapse. Um, but at the same time, uh, and I do think that increasingly they see it that way. I mean, I think in particular, Prime Minister Hariri in particular understands that. I think Prime Minister Hariri is one of one of the few people who recognizes um, that that the cost of the delay is a is a cost that is 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 going to be 
he, he internalizes the idea that the system is shaking and is extremely vulnerable. Mm. Uh, the problem, however, is, is not that. I think the problem is they cannot collectively come to a conclusion. The, the, the decision-making that needs to be done in order to form the government is just proving to be impossible, given how atomized the system is. I think there's still some hope deep down that ah, if we wait long enough, somebody will come and, and bail us out as well. So I, and, and there's always this also, let, let's wait until after the US elections, the rapprochement with Iran will right. open up uh, the, the, the oxygen. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but none of this contradicts the idea that, that I think, I personally think the waiting is, pain, is, is costly for them. And I think some of them do recognize that already. It's interesting. So it's catch-22 in a sense. It's collective decision-making that, that is Lebanon's sort of DNA and that they're unable to get there at the same time because the losses are so big. So that, that explains, in a sense, why paralysis is so long-term. It's not a short-term issue. And I, the, I enjoyed the piece also because it makes somebody who's fairly amateur in economics understand what's been happening on the ground. And you, break, you, you elaborate on four points. And I found it quite interesting that you're, you're able to see positivity happening f- for the wrong reasons. And that's where stealth comes in. Let's talk about them one by one. And the first is balance of payments. And in balance of payments, you say the balance of payments is indeed adjusting, but only because the society's income and wealth are disappearing. So in other words, <laughs> it's being fixed. It's just the absolute wrong way. It's that society's paying the price, which is what you said earlier. And is there any sort of any consideration on that front that this is so 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 ronnie let me if you don't mind actually i want want to bring in a metaphor i want to bring in an imagery that i use to frame the conversation which i think resonates with some people which which it could be a nice introduction to the discussion about the balance of payments right which is that that uh, an economy is like an organism like a living organism it's like a body right um and when the body gets shocked um, you, but with a disease, with a virus, with corona, right? two things could happen. You can either give it a medicine, right? You can either deal with it in a proper way, take it to the doctor, um, um, and it could be a painful medicine, right? It could be something that could, God forbid, I mean, in cancer, you lose your hair, you lose your immunity, but eventually, touch wood, you survive. The alternative is you let the system fight itself, fight yes. the medicine, fight the, right? Right. And in Lebanon, we clearly are not doing the former. We clearly are not taking the, 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 the patient to the doctor. What we're doing is we're letting the system deal with the problems itself, right? And that's exactly what the system is doing. The system is cleaning itself by itself by raising its fever. The problem, and this is how I conclude, and I want to conclude, is that, yeah, we're cleaning ourselves by a high fever, but sometimes fever kills you. If your body is weak, if you're vulnerable, you can't afford the self-auto-adjustment, the auto-cleaning. And that's what I fear. We're cleaning ourselves, but the cleaning of the body by itself, the auto-cleaning, will potentially kill us and potentially be fatal to us. We can't afford. We're just too weak to be, to be adjusting without the medicine, without the, 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 the doctor. Right? So, and that's an important... So, and and, and yeah. here, maybe, I, I can mm. talk about the balance of payments because sure, yeah, you're sure. absolutely right. The core of the problem in Lebanon has always been that we just needed too many dollars. Uh, the country never generated enough dollars to be able to pay for its way. So what did we do? We went out there and we always continuously borrowed. Every year we borrowed it. And that number in 2019, the net dollar amount, which I can walk you through yeah. how, we, how we calculated it, but it's too boring, 
was rough between 14 and 18 billion dollars, right? That's right. what we needed just to survive, not yeah. to grow, just to survive. Yes. But suddenly, right, by, by making people very poor through the recession, imports collapsed, right? You're not, right. no longer importing shortages, right? There's no, so suddenly you've dealt with the problem of dollars. So now your needs, instead of being 14, they're down to four. Right? That's yes. what we yeah. need. It's just four billion. How did we do that? By literally importing less. How do we right. import less? Because we're poorer. So you dealt with the problem, but through poverty, through killing the wealth and the income of people, and by also depreciating the currency. Right? You let the currency become so cheap, so 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 weak that it's impossible to import because it's too expensive to import. So you dealt the the body is is dealing with itself through a recession and through a weak currency. Right, and suddenly you don't need the dollars that you needed before. But it's again, it's happening as a result of a deep recession and a collapsing currency. Something that the system cannot afford. I, I appreciate this analogy. I don't know if that makes sense. But, no, it does. Uh, Actually, it's it's a great analogy, and I'll I'll take liberty of quoting you to you on, once more. Uh, in some instances, the body prevails, but in others, especially if the infection is powerful or an organism's immunity is low, the body succumbs. And here you're talking about fever, and that fever can kill the patient or, or the body. It is the fever that kills the organism, not the infection, which I actually appreciate that. So in other words, things are healing, but they're healing without, because immunity is so low, there's a very good chance that the body will, will die in the process. It's just that the body doesn't survive the, uh, the infection. It's, it's the fever kills the organism, not the infection, which I think is important here. Okay. Let's and and let, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back to, to, to real life, right? Because mm. this is too conceptual, too philosophical, right? Very few countries can afford the kind of recession right. that yeah. we're going through. Right? When you tell me that the economy yeah. is going to contract by 25% and the real exchange rate is going to be depreciating by 50% so that your economy is going to drop from 60 billion to less than 20 billion, very few societies can afford can can survive that kind of collapse. You, you made that, a great that, great comparison to the Great Depression in the U.S. That Lebanon is experiencing five years of Great Depression in America, in, in such in a short year. period of time. Yeah, so that's, that's in also one year. In one year, yeah. I mean, we still Sorry. talk about the, the Great Depression in the U.S. today. Exactly. Like years yeah. later, well, almost a hundred years later. Yeah. And we're still talking about the scar that that depression occurred. Right. right. And right. we're going through five times the size of that depression. Societies get really scarred by depressions that large. Let's jump into the second area, which is the massive public and private debt, which we sort of talked about already. But there's I'll quote you to you. No active crisis management. The debt overhang is being resolved organically, in quotes, through, through disorganized defaults and bankruptcies. So in other words, this massive debt <laughs> is shrinking because the economy is collapsing. That's pretty much it. There is no sort of uh, that money that was supposed to come never came. But in long term restructuring, is this is this something that had to happen? That in other words, if every conversation about that pain, the pain that everyone's going to feel, is this just such an acute pain because it was mismanaged? But that is the pain that every country goes through whether it was Greece, whether it was Spain? Yes and no. And that's mm. an incredibly important nuance. So let me try to explain it a little bit clearer. Right? Mm. We all agreed that slashing the debt is necessary. Yeah. We all agreed that countries like Lebanon cannot afford 
the debt. It just cannot pay the debt that it had accumulated in the past. So we all agreed that some form of a debt write-off is needed. Mm-hmm. And we all agreed that the pain, because somebody owns that debt, somebody had lent the money. So when you write off the debt, you're killing the lender. So we all knew that there was a pain associated with that. Right. However, the process of the cleanup, of the debt cleanup matters. Right? There's one way to do it in an organized way, where you sit down with the creditors around the table and come up with some solution. You know what, I pay you down the road, I'll bring down my, your interest payment, um, give me a little bit of, of, of uh, 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 maybe a bit of a haircut, right? Let's do it in an in a organized way. We all will be, like, you will be hurt, but let's do it in a way that maximizes your recovery value. So you get still some money down the road and helps me as a borrower by making me more viable. That's right. one approach, which is the approach that many successful countries do when they borrow too much. And then you have Lebanon, <laughs> where when you do nothing, you essentially deal with your problem of debt by bankruptcy. And you close right. shops. And right? So anybody who's borrowed suddenly is now is, is, is bankrupt. You close the, the, the businesses. You close the... You do it in an extremely uh, inefficient way, in which case the borrower now... Uh, 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 so the lender has lost everything. Right. Not even like right. you don't do it in a, in an organized, uh, smooth way. And in the meantime, the country right now, even though its balance sheet has cleaned, but the bankruptcies that are necessary, in this this hard bankruptcy as opposed to a soft restructuring. That's yes. the technical yes. distinction between a restructuring and a def- and a bankruptcy. Right. right? Will have long-term effect because all your productive capacity has been has you, you close it you you shut it down during that as a result of that inefficient form of of of, of dealing with it with it. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. But, no, no, uh, it makes sense. And and also, I mean, we we're we're both in New York and we've seen uh, the proactive steps taken to make sure that businesses don't go bust when they don't need to, and all these sort of uh, these monthly sort of checks that arrive and sort of there's a system in place to alleviate the economic fallout from COVID. I, I think it was yesterday or just last few days, uh, the people that sort of lost property, material damage from the blasts are finally getting some form of compensation. Even that compensation is locked in the bank. You don't, you don't have access to that sort of uh, that money. And let alone, I mean, there is no talk about assisting the population through this, even though every think tank, every single economic advisor, everyone has offered ways to do this. There's no discussion. It's almost, it goes back to what you said earlier, which is, which is true. Let the population deal with this. It's like, put it on, put it on the lower middle, lower class and let them sort of write it out. And I I agree with that sentiment. I agree with that sentiment. Uh, We'll jump into the banking sector and, your words. Admittedly, part of this process is healthy, referring to the reform that we've seen, quote unquote, reform, mismanaged reform. Borrowers are selling their real estate assets to other depositors and using those funds to extinguish debt. Banks are indeed being cleaned up, but it is depositors and the central bank's foreign reserves that are absorbing the losses, not bank shareholders. That, that uh, referring to the property, I've, I've received offers to sort of, you know, do something that would be, in my opinion, a horrible idea. But I mean, everyone's experienced this to a certain degree. Real estate, real estate, real estate. Put your money in a safer place. 
and the banking sector trying to survive. And may well be that few banks do not survive. But with that said, was this an inevitable situation that because things were so bloated and because the banking sector was not really what people thought it was, or at least the, the myth about Lebanon's banking sector was sort of shown what it is, that you, you would need to have some form of process, I guess, with, with borrowers. Yeah, listen, consolidating the banking sector and shrinking it down to a size that we as an economy can afford, which is really at the core of your question, is, is, is what we need to do. Mm. Lebanon's banking system was just too big, right? No country in the world had at its peak, what, 450 percentage points of GDP. The size of the banking sector was more than four times the size of the economy. No country in the world has that. Right? Four, four uh, times, really? Four, four and a half times, yeah. No wow. country in the world, right? And, and the reason yeah, yeah. behind that was, was straightforward, right? We, we needed to borrow in order to satisfy our needs, our economic needs, and we intermediated that borrowing through the banking sector. So the banking sector would yeah. borrow money through non-resident deposits and lend that money to the government and to the private sector. And in the interim, became metastasized into this giant cancer, right? So... <laughs> Some form of a consolidation is absolutely necessary, right? Um, and the kind of consolidation that you're referring to, I don't want to get into too technical detail here, but the whole idea of I sell you my deposit, you use my deposit to pay your debt to the banking sector, and in the meantime, you give me a piece of, I'll give you a piece of property. It's not yeah. a bad idea. It's not a bad thing. It's, mm. it's, actually, it's actually a relatively healthy way of netting the system, right? That okay. doesn't worry me. What worries me much more is another process that is going on, which is the effective lirification yep. right. of, the, of the deposits. That worries me much more. Right. right? So what's happening here is that you're going to Ronnie and say, Ronnie, you have $100,000 right, um, um, in the banking system. I'll give you the $100,000, but in lira. Yeah. And I'll give them to you at 3,800 or 3,900 lira per dollar, right? But in the meantime, the exchange rate outside is at 8,000 or 9,000. So, so you're it's effectively- a, It's a haircut. Haircutting, yeah. You're haircutting yourself. Right, right, I right. You're haircutting yourself. You're accepting <laughs> a haircut. And who is funding that haircut? It's the central bank who's printing the liras, giving it to the banks, and the banks are the ones who are giving you the lira, right? So, right. so that's the process of lirification that is playing out, and that's a very dangerous game. So that's a that's a willingness lirification. It's almost like that's better for me because it's safer. But that's still a. Uh, but you're losing sixty percent, seventy percent of the deposits, right? So yeah, the banks are cleaning. The deposits are coming down in real terms, in dollar terms, right? Yes, yes. They're paying the hundred at thirty-five or a hundred at forty, whatever. So their liability is being shrinking, right? right? Yeah, yeah. It's shrinking, and you're willing to take that hit. So suddenly the bank now is happy doing it because the depositor. Is the, yes. That process of consolidation really, really makes me feel very uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. a very insidious way of dealing with the banking system problem. There is a better, much better ways, much better ways than this way. Can I ask you? The, can I just ask you about the discomfort? Is that because the the banks are going to lose out more? I mean, where's the discomfort from? If if yeah, somebody's the, the, the depositors, are the depositors, right? So they're doing it, in other words, without. I mean, they're willingly losing money. That's the discomfort that... The, dep the depositors are willing to haircut themselves because they feel... Yeah. They feel that, that, that 35 cents on the dollar 
is better than zero cents on the dollar. So I understand right, that. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah. And, yes. and, but but, but there, there, there are better, more efficient ways of dealing with it, right? You could, you could, first of all, you need to wipe out the shareholders. Like this is a mm-hmm. process where the shareholders are sitting pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? Yeah. The shareholders at this point, you're pushing all the loss onto the depositors. So if you're a right. bank shareholder, you're very happy because now all your, as a shareholder, you're borrowing from people, right? Right, and now you're paying them back the deposits at thirty-five cents on the dollar. You're very happy. So it's really so, the, so, it's the small deposits that are going to get hit hardest in that sense because they're. Rushing I would to... rather do it in a more. There's a more systematic way of doing it. Choose yeah. the big deposit, not the small depositors. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Tax them in a, in a in a in a way. If you need to touch depositors, tax them in a transparent way. Right. Maybe take claw back the interest payments that they had paid in the past as opposed right, to right. there are more efficient ways bring in fresh capital to recapitalize mm-hmm. the banking system there are cleaner ways of dealing with the banking system than the way it's being dealt with right now the That's way it's being dealt yeah. with right now is that it's pushing all the pain onto particularly the small depositors and then the burden, and that I find yeah the, the burden goes on them to try to manage their, their savings on, on, on that's the, exactly what you're doing that's exactly right. what you're doing and instead of, uh, so, so there are better ways of dealing with the banking system than the way that is being dealt with right now. What I find fascinating though, I'm sorry to beat this a bit, but the better ways have been discussed so much mm-hmm. and then they're not there. I mean, they're not being, they're not being implemented, which is this real tragedy that the healthier options are ignored. For all the reasons we're talking about, but it's still, it's yeah. like, it's and like that's watching. why I call it the, tra- the tragedy of doing nothing. I, I, yeah. I love the Arabic translation. <laughs> okay, it it's, sounds, the, sounds it's, it's just, it, it, exactly, it feels, it's yeah. so sad. First world issues the uh, one device runs out of battery, but there's internet. So we go into another device. Now we're on the laptop, and you look. Perfect. I love the background. I love the. We have different angles for this episode. So yeah, exactly. Maybe we should do a few more when every device. Yeah, yeah exactly. I can show you the window. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're gonna full tour. Yeah, exactly. So I, I apologize for that brief uh, that brief interruption, but uh, I'll just uh, let, let's go into the last uh, the last uh, item, which is public sector, and we talked about inflation a bit earlier. And I'll quote you. Inflation, itself reflecting irresponsibly loose monetary policy, has dramatically reduced the real value of civil servants' wages and pensions, and more broadly, public spending on goods and services. Here again, an original sin is being dealt with by stealth, but in a way that is impoverishing the middle class and society at large. Now, the whole inflation subject, I I had a conversation recently. We were wondering, had there not been, remove October 17, remove the economic crisis, going back to the 1,500 thing, what was the actual value back then? If you had to actually let the lira float earlier, what would the actual number be? I mean, we were trying to guess what the value was prior to this, uh, prior to actual inflation. And we kind of went back and forth on this and we settled on 4,000. Does that sound right to you? That the 
you know, there's a, I mean, honestly, this is a slightly separate conversation because at this point, history is, is yeah. so no, but behind I'm, us. But, uh, but I'm just curious in terms of the number where it is now and where it was before, because we yeah. all know that 1,500 was not measuring. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah, just, it was really massively overvalued. The fund IMF had actually estimated the extent of the overvaluation at that stage. Hmm. Right. Um, and I think the number was 60%, which would take you to the 3,500 kind of level. Okay. So it's, it was upwards, at least based on that IMF statistic prior to the collapse. Exactly. exactly. Today, what we do know for a fact is that relative to the fundamentals of the country, um, we've moved from being too expensive, the currency being too expensive, to actually at this point, arguably too cheap. Right. It's right. over. It's, it's on the process of overshooting. Right. And the reason the overshoot is, is happening is because fundamentals don't matter anymore. Hmm. People at this point are spying dollars at any price. Right. Because they're not worried about today, they're worried about tomorrow. And it's they, ad hoc. It's depending on the urgency of that. Uh... It's, it's more than that. It's, it's no longer owning the currency to owning the lira right now because of what you need right now. It's because you're worried about what's going to happen in the future. The fear of the collapse mm. is making mm. people so risk averse that people yes. are buying the dollar at any price. The capital flight that is happening, which is reasonable, incidentally, right? When you're not sure about how bad things will be, given the fact that very little is being done, is creating this incentive to buy dollars at any price. Right. And this right. is what explains the currency where it is right now. It doesn't make it the wrong price, right? It doesn't make it a wrong level. Right, yeah. But it's it... reflective of how the uncertainty over the future. So if you give me certainty, if you give hmm. me clarity, if you go back to my 10-point plan, right? <laughs> then there's no reason for the currency not to strengthen. The currency is actually quite cheap. Right, 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 right. There's no reason for the dollar not to come down again back to some level. I don't know, 4,000, whatever the level is, but certainly not 8,000. If you give me clarity, right? And that's the point. People want to buy dollars, not because the situation is bad, it is bad, but because they're worried about how bad it could be. So everybody's running out and buying dollars no matter at what price. So that's almost a psychological figure. It's it's a, it's at a rate that reflects the panic rather than the actual value. It makes it. I mean, the technical term, uh, Ronnie, is unanchored. 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 Right. The currency is completely unanchored at this point. It could be anything. Right? It could go to any level, based yeah. on people's panic at 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 at, at and, and desire to the safety of the greenback. That's interesting, and I, I like that analogy. It, that it was it was. It was wrongly measured before, and it's wrongly measured today. That we actually don't know. We don't really know. The real Give me some certainty, and I can. I don't want to say. I never assure anybody, but but chances are we appreciate. We strengthen again. Right? The currency right. is too cheap for the fundamentals of the country. Our needs for dollars right now are not that big anymore. We only need is four billion dollars a year to survive. That's not a lot of money. And so suddenly now $4 billion of money coming into the country will satisfy our needs. And, so, and we probably could get more than $4 billion if we do the right thing. Right. But, I mean, amateur take here. Is it optimistic to assume that the lira will reach 
its forecasted value prior to the collapse? In other words, that 3,500, 4,000 figure, do you think it'll at some point reach there naturally? And reflecting the new size of the, reflecting everything that's happened, that it's sort of, it's heading in that direction uh, and, and the fever is taking it there. In other words, not not there's no antibiotic there's no vaccine there's no medicine that takes us into something which which is where i concluded my piece with um and it's an important philosophical point and i'll try to make it a little bit more uh, 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 internalized that process of cleaning up the system mm. is creating scars that are very long lasting right 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 so even if the system cleans up itself we're not going to go back to 3,500. The old equilibrium is no longer the right equilibrium mm, because we mm. created so many scars. Right. It's going to be difficult to reverse. Right? So now, it, so, so, and, 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 so again, put it in English, put it in, in real life. We've lost so much productive capacity. So many smart young people have left the country. Those are all productive resources, people who used to be able to create value. Yes that are disappeared. Now they're sitting in Europe and in the Gulf and the US. Yeah. You had manufacturing and shops and hotels that used to operate that have closed right now. It's going to take two, three years to reopen them. You created socio-political problems, poverty, um, anger, radicalization that is not going to be easy to reverse. Right. The old equilibrium is no longer the new equilibrium. New equilibrium is worse today. Now, the sooner we start the cleanup, the actual you know, the less that scar is scarring is. Hmm. But we're left with this system has already left us with a lot of scars. Like the, the, the nonchalance has left us with scars that have made the new equilibrium, even if we clean up ourselves, worse than where we used to be and worse than where we should have been. I don't so know if I'm making sense. That makes sense. It's a permanent damage. It's irreversible damage, but it's but it's long lasting. Right. And those scars can heal to a point, but they're not, you cannot remove them. There's sort of, there's damage, at least for the time being. I, I, I want to reflect on the last words in your piece. And in a way, I share the sentiment. The Lebanese organism is too weak to handle the current neglect and paralysis. If the policy vacuum persists, fatal consequences surely await us. So that issue about being too weak and not, not being able to handle it, is there any justification for assistance without reform? Meaning all the conditions Macron laid out, all the conditions the IMF shared, all the conditions that one would hope for, at least when it goes back to the protest movement and those calls for reform, the money wasn't sent because there was no reform. But is there any justification for trying to save the organism from itself with money? Or, and I, I don't mean this to be want, wishing further pain on anyone, or is this an inevitable conclusion? Meaning that if the organism dies, it dies because it wasn't meant to survive, at least this way, this, this configuration of it. And this reflects, this reflects on the, the sort of the wider issue of this power sharing thing that everyone talks about, that it's just perhaps outdated and that this has to go with it for there to be something new. And I, just your own personal take on that, whether or not this is a natural death. Two separate questions, I think, in there. Great questions, but two separate ones. One, which is, could we become a, 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 a Somalia? Right? Yeah. Where we are so failed state that the human 
the human imperative to try to save us from our friends becomes so big that they feel sorry for us and they give us money just because we are so poor. And right? that is such a sad, sad projection yeah. and forecast and conjecture. But could we get there? We could get there. We could get there, right? I mean, there are failed states that Yemen and Afghanistan and Somalia and Mozambique, like they've gotten to that point where I so hope we don't. We're just too good to be that kind of state. We're too advanced, I always worry about your judgment. We're too good to, to become that kind of a failed state. But yeah, the, the, the extreme we could, eh? like a humanist, humanitarian, we could become the country that would attract humanitarian assistance just because we can't feed ourselves anymore. Yeah. God forbid, God forbid, but that's, that's, that's a possibility that we should always keep in, in, in mind. Your second question is more complicated, which is, is the organism itself a dead man walking, right? Years and years of, of trying to create a confessional uh, 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 equilibrium, right? Uh, uh, so that we can move on uh, is so unworkable, so dysfunctional that we need a new reality. I don't know what that new reality is, but certainly the mitaq al-watani of coming together the way we did in the past yes, is not yes. working anymore. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, I think I think there's a step before that, unfortunately, which is we recreate mitaq al-watani, but through violence. We'll come back together. I mean, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, we need to, we, like, we can't divorce each other. Uh, we're too, like, the system is too entrenched, too interlocked that we cannot, like we're a Catholic wedding, right? Catholic marriage. We're not going to be able to divorce from each other. We need each other. And the only way maybe we can remember that we need each other is through violence. This is what happens in Lebanon often. You have a war and the war reminds us that, you know, the only way to survive is to remarry. And <laughs> a new, a new, uh, and that's a likely scenario, unfortunately, increasingly to my mind, a likely scenario is that is we it? see that the collapse creates violence, the violence creates a recognition that we need a new social uh, like a, a political comp a contract, mm. and we come back in a couple of years. But is that the violence that, that we have not seen yet? In, in other words, the, the outrage, the bre breaking into bank into banks and sort of shattering glass and burning things. It's not that violence. That's the sort of, that's the civil unrest due to the stagnation of the political situation and economic. That's in a way the, maybe the, I don't want to say justified violence, but that's the natural expression of rage from the situation. But you're referring to the, the okay. older, the older form of violence, I mean, communal violence. And absolutely, absolutely. And anybody who tells you, and I've, I have a huge conversation with people about this. Anybody who tells you that the return of the civil war is, oh, don't worry about it. It's impossible. There's no decision for it. There's no funding. The powers are too imbalanced. All the arguments that you hear about why the civil war is not going to come back, I think it's naive to, to take that for granted. Mm. Like we've had these episodes in the past multiple times, and, and the incentive structure of this, the incentive structure of this complete chaos often happens, uh, often creates an incentive for radicalization, armament, right? sort of rearmament, and that over time uh, it becomes, it becomes um, organized violence. Um, anybody who tells you that that's not uh, uh, on the card in, uh, uh, is, is naive. I mean, you're already seeing it, the radicalization that you're seeing right now, people bringing back 1975, I find that incredibly dangerous. Right? People bringing back the memory of 19, oh, we're like 1975. That date is a very dangerous date. 
um, and you're hearing it increasingly among some of the more radical crowd groups out there. I've, I've already taken too much of your time. I think I, I took twice as long as, as we had agreed, but I, I really want to hone in on this and I, I won't take more afterwards. But this is a very important top, topic and I haven't, I haven't heard that angle yet that there's a sort of an, a false acceptance maybe that the civil war is past us and that people sort of, maybe they're just betting on that will not happen again. And I like the way you're saying it. And this issue of the reasons why civil war happened before in Lebanon, and you correct me if I'm wrong, had less to do with economic concerns and more to do with regional politics at, 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 the, at the core. In other words, yeah. April 13, 1975, you didn't see these sort of economic uh, conversations happening. There wasn't a real debate on, uh, on the banking sector or inflation or anything like that. Go back to 1958, I, I don't think economics played a role one bit in it. But is, is, that the, is that where the naivety is, that we didn't fight because we were bankrupt, therefore we're not going to fight now? I'm trying to, trying to understand what we're really missing from that. If, yeah, if, so, yeah. So, so, so first of all, before anybody convinces, sort of accuses me of, of starting to compare, right? I mean, history um, doesn't repeat itself, but it tries, right? So this time is different than 1750. I completely agree. I'll be the first to admit, right? But but there are comparisons that are too stark not to see. Mm-hmm. And again, it's different moments, different times, different players. Yeah. Uh, but, but first of all, I mildly disagree. I gently disagree. Please do. No, no. I want to get. I I, I love this sort of take on it. Yeah. Please. This, that economics didn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. The literature of the early seventies, late sixties, mm-hmm. and early seventies. Again, it wasn't the collapse, it wasn't the crisis. So in that sense, the parallels are not the same. But there was a whole discussion about income inequality, about um, role of unfettered capitalism, labor, there was massive labor movements, labor uh, demonstrations. The, the left, the whole, uh, the whole um, dogma of the Harkel Watani was, was an economic program. It wasn't just a political one. It was mm. at its heart an economic one, right? But there are other elements to it as well, which this is where the time is much more right now than then, which is the, the existential fear by, by the demographic shifts that were occurring, right? Um, then it was the fear by the Christians, by the emergence of the empowered Sunnis that were supported by the PLO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And there was an existential fear over the uh, of, of, of the of the of the, Sunni, of the Christian identity, um, uh, uh, they were very nervous. The, the, the democratic right. shifts were were truly, truly worrying them, right? And that's when you started hearing about federalism and, and, and uh, right, and right. I think something very similar today. Replace PLO with Hezbollah. Uh, there's a fear right now. Similarly, by, by incidentally, at this time, there's a substantial fear is not just by the Christians but also by the Sunnis. That the Hezbollah is demographic shifts that is being supported. That the, the emergence of the Shia mm-hmm. strength is is dominating the the, 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 the presence of both mm-hmm. the Christians and the Sunnis as well. So in that sense, it also rhymes, right? It's uh, a, a, and, and some of the radicalism that you're hearing right now is a reflection of that existential panic over the emergence of a power that is that is uh, armed 
and that dominates, right? That it could could threaten your existential. Can I can I pick your brain on that issue though? Would you would you say that that is a more uh, that is a bigger that is a a more pressing concern for at least communal violence, intercommunal violence, than the economic collapse? Because I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to understand why if if I'm I'm going with what you said earlier, why there hasn't been renewed civil war. Because if anything, all the conditions are there. Everything is ripe for it. And I think I, I, I like what you said earlier, again, about being naive. You, I agree that people don't, they don't really admit that this is a very real, uh, very real scenario. But at the end of the day, civil war did not happen again. And one, one would expect from everything that has happened, the political front, economics front, and, and everything, that you would have had a tearing up of the country by now but that didn't happen and that, so, that includes the economic collapse so i I'm, I'm just trying to understand and if history rhymes the way you said doesn't repeat but it rhymes are we seeing just a very slow moving situation where it's just taking longer than it did before but we may actually inevitably get there again because there are things that are happening which reflect why lebanon broke broke apart before so so first of all for the record, I am not <laughs> predicting a civil war. No, no, no. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. That the hope that we all have is that we get our act together and that sure, sure. are occurring right now post American elections could create a political opening for a new government. I'm mm -hmm. still hoping that this is how we go down, right? Sure. Yes. All I'm saying is that political vacuum in the middle of an economic collapse is a perfect recipe. Right. Or right. for the return of communal organized violence. Your point about timing is interesting, but, and this I've thought a lot about this, it's not true that the civil war in Lebanon started in April 13, 1975. The civil no. war in Lebanon started when Maruf Saad was assassinated in February 73, followed I, by yeah. the Lebanese camps, by the, by the camp war, which I, th I think was October of 73. When right. the army and the PLO got into a into a fight, and then there was a recognition, there was a clear recognition that PLO, the term that was used at that point was a state in within a state. But the yes, parallels are very interesting, right? We yeah. were worried about state within a state and that you have two armed groups that yes, are very powerful, yes. the army and the PLO. And this is when, this was in mid-73, and it took, what, 18 months? Until like it took two years, a year and a half of radicalization and argumentation, arming themselves. Right. It took a while, right? So these things actually, in in in, in I'm, I'm, thankfully I'm young enough that I, this is something I read about more than I lived. <laughs> uh, although I was I was also a teenager at that point. Uh, you, you started looking in the newspapers of that period. You started hearing noises about militias being formed and, and, and yes, yes. I mean, when, 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 when the Lebanese forces had the march in Ashrafiyye, it was Ashrafiyye three months ago. In Jamezi, Marm Khair, they, yeah, 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 it was about, it was after you the blast. go back to yeah. the 70, early 73, you had very similar uh, also, right? Uh, at the time, at the time again, I'm not really forecasting anything, I'm not hoping for anything. All I'm saying is that you could see this becoming the becoming the dynamic that eventually. No, uh, I, I so hope I'm wrong, of course. But 
I equally, I don't, yeah, of course, that's the, that's the worst case scenario, but, but the, I, I appreciate you taking pre-Civil War factors into consideration and, and I, we could go even further. I mean, the Cairo agreement in 1969, I mean, maybe the, the fighting itself began in April, 1975, but the years that led to that point are equally important. And I, I don't really think about that that much, that, the Cairo Agreement was precisely the moment when the Christians of Lebanon realized that the PLO's presence is too dominant, that it's starting to threaten the equilibrium. Yeah. Right? It eventually created, eventually the army decided to take over like the Jordanians did in 70, in, in, in Jordan when they took over. The Lebanese army tried to do the same thing, failed. That's when the Christians panicked. They started arming themselves. But that's that's the issue, and it's maybe it's worth another discussion actually later. That bring a historian. I mean, I'm I'm actually yeah. no, no. I I know we we went somewhere that I thought I think is quite interesting because the the reason I'm I wanted to reflect a bit on it is that it's just I I from my side I haven't heard that perspective before about the economic uh, factors being a very important uh, contribu- contribution to the civil war itself, which is worth pointing out because that is the story now. Everyone agrees that the economic situation is at its worst right now, but there is sort of an earlier chapter that may have actually contributed to the degeneration of, of the state and, and maybe we're reliving aspects of that today. So now I appreciate that lens. So two things. Number one, you're kind to stay roughly half an hour longer than we agreed. So that, that means a lot to me. We got two views. We got the sort of the earlier paintings. Now we have the internal uh we saw i saw somebody walk in and then disappear because i think she she may have thought that she's interrupting which i really <laughs> liked a mask you know the mask covid and then she just quickly got out of the frame that was fun i hope we can catch up sooner than than later and maybe maybe if there's any uh finally some positive news we can touch on those things as well because there i think lebanon deserves a break and uh i think this country has had enough pain and like you said earlier, uh, nobody wants that situation to recur. Nobody wants a renewal of violence. And fingers crossed, that's not the outcome. But everything's in a state of flux. And I, I really hope that we have some positive, positive news on the horizon. And hopefully one day we can do something like this in Beirut, because we've been doing it in New York, I think, a little too long. Maybe the next time we can do it in, in Beirut. Thank you very much. Ahmed, thank you so much. Thanks for listening, and a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>